Welcome to the Podcast Potables Network. You're listening to Power Bombs and Potables brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at PowerBombsPPN for pro wrestling news and talk. You can also follow us on Instagram and untapped at Process Potables. Check out our other shows on Twitter at Process Potables, at PucksPPN, and at PopcornPPN. This week, Popcorn and Potables has put out a bonus episode discussing the movie The Lodge. Uh, Process Potables put out a podcast with the return of the NBA that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. And we'll be dropping a new episode today, Monday morning, with special guest Dave Wes of Feeding Time TV. Uh, Pucks and Potables did a nice crossover episode that I was able to sit in on and board up, discussing the worst and best game experiences, big games uh, in our lives in different sports leagues. They have Dan, Steve, uh, Mason, the host of Pucks and Potables, and his uh, partner, Mike. And finally, we have a new podcast debuting on the network this week, Uh Polyphony and Potables with Dan sitting down with uh, longtime friends of ours, Don and Lee Simpson, where they're going to be discussing music. And on the debut episode, they will be discussing uh, music covers and songs that they like that are covered, obviously, by other artists, as well as the cover band music scene and things like that. So you want to check out all those types of things. For news, blog posts, info on breweries we've worked with, and more, check out www.processpotables.com. Dot com. Well, we had an actual great week in wrestling. There's so much. We have AEW's Fighter Fest Night 1. We have the Great American Bash Night 1. There's so much to talk about. This week, we are all killer, no filler on this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables. Welcome to this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables on the podcast Potables Network. My name is Corey Oates. Hope everybody had a great 4th of July if you're here in the States. Uh, we celebrate our independence from back in 1776 yesterday, Saturday, uh, July the 4th. So hope everybody stayed safe and had a good time with that. Well, we're here. A lot of stuff this week. Not as much news. So we're going to start off the show with news and we're going to do things differently. I'm going to do full recaps of night one of Fighter Fest and night one of the Great American Bash. We're treating them like pay-per-views because they booked them like pay-per-views and they were full of action like a pay-per-view. So uh, I can't I can't uh, ignore that fact, all right? So first, we're going to start off with this week's Quick Sips. All right, so for Quick Sips this week and for this whole pod, I am uh, drinking a Hysteria Brewing out of uh, Maryland. Uh, this is their Trash Panda. It's an American IPA. Uh, it's hopped with Mosaic, Simcoe, and Citra hops. It comes in around 7.2. Uh, we're going to give this boy a uh, first taste on the pot. I have not actually had one of these. I had their their, their counter start, the Space Panda, which has the... Um, what are those called? The... Uh, can't even think about them right now. Don't have the beer in front of me. Let's go with this one. 
Mm. Tasting the beer made me think about it. They're called Galaxy Hops. This, mmm. So it's got that, that that bitterness of an IPA, but very smooth on the back end. No, no funny aftertaste. This is very, very good. I'm going to enjoy this throughout this pod because there is a lot, a lot of recapping that I have to do on this show. So, news-wise, funny how we talked about these things for the last couple of weeks, but this week the WWE has informed their staff and roster that face masks are now required at all times during television tapings, and those who uh, don't comply will be fined. Individuals will be fined $500 for their first violation of the ordinance and $1,000 for their second violation. In-ring performers will not be required to wear masks. Uh, This news was first reported by PW Insider. Uh, So members of the Performance Center crowd started wearing face coverings during uh, recent tapings after multiple people who had been at the PC tested positive for COVID-19. NXT's Rick uh, Abugis and others were criticized, though, for being seen without their masks at times on the TV. WWE is now testing for COVID-19 before every taping to ensure each person entering the Performance Center does not have the virus. WWE executive John Brody says Vince McMahon is ready for the company to return to performing in arenas if the people in charge safely reopen them. Uh, Brody, WWE's executive vice president, global head of sales and partnerships, was interviewed by uh, Sports Pro podcast this week where he talked about WWE filming shows outside of the Performance Center in Orlando. Now, during this portion of the conversation, Brody was asked how the change to filming at the PC changed WWE's context strategy, uh, content strategy, sorry, uh, now that everyone involved in the shows doesn't have to travel to a new town each week for shows. Uh, he quote said, yeah, look, first of all, if people will uh, open arenas safely, we're ready. Our chairman and CEO, Vince McMahon, has said we're ready to go and entertain and put smiles on people's faces, so we look forward to the next step in the transition. End quote. He said before nothing noting uh, that shooting at the PC has been different since it wasn't a set. It was a uh, training center prior to the pandemic. More on that story. Uh, quote, when we're in the game, we're, we're in the time to reduce travel, we're just trying to produce content. Uh, deliver content, give fans the ability to ingest content, end quote. Brody added, we've just had to pivot and evolve based on the realities of this global pandemic. Now, before the coronavirus outbreak, the WWE had scheduled a SmackDown TV taping event for Friday, April the 17th in Cleveland, Ohio, but it was postponed. Now, WWE is rescheduling the booking for a live Raw TV event on Monday, September the 28th. As a result, this could be one of the first live events with fans in attendance for the company. Since the coronavirus pandemic forced scheduled uh, changes back in March, WWE has been taping episodes of their weekly television shows at the Performance Center. Uh, So the news was made by the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse in Cleveland. uh, And the message on their website uh, states the following. Quote, WWE SmackDown has been rescheduled to WWE Raw. The WWE Friday Night SmackDown, originally scheduled for Friday, April the 17th in Cleveland, Ohio, has been postponed to Monday Night Raw on Monday, September the 28th. All original tickets will be honored for the rescheduled date. I know that's three months out, but I still think that it's a little bit too soon. Obviously, it's not going to be any type of full capacity, but I do know that this past weekend... A lot of sports have been testing the waters with maybe 25% capacity, but a lot of those are outdoor stadiums for soccer and uh, things like that. We're not talking uh, closed-in rooms. Uh, Most states don't even have indoor dining yet, and we're talking about opening up arenas. 
So Renee Young was teasing a big announcement uh, for a couple of days on social media, and now the reveal finally came out that she's written a cookbook. So Young announced the news on Instagram, revealing that she's officially sent in her manuscript for the cookbook. In the post, Young wrote, quote, been writing and cooking my butt off for three months, and I couldn't be more excited for the rest of the process to get this book to you lovely people, end quote. Uh, In the accompanying video, Renee says the book will contain over 70 recipes for breakfast, snacks, cocktails, mains, sandwiches, and more. The book uh, will uh, also come with a playlist to set the mood while cooking her recipes. All right. Bully Ray's contract with Ring of Honor has expired, and they've yet to offer him a new contract. David Meltzer reported uh, the news in a edition of Wrestling Observer Newsletter this week, and it should be noted that they are Ring of Honor is not offering new deals to anyone. The last one that they issued, I believe, was, well, they re-signed Flip Gordon, and then they re-signed their ring announcer uh, in the last month, but they're not offering new deals to people. And you got to think, Bully Ray's, he comes with a cost. Uh, PW Insider provided an update that noted that his contract expired on April 1st. He was supposed to uh, have his uh, feud uh, that was going on with Maria Manic. It was supposed to end at Supercard of Honor, which was WrestleMania 36 weekend. That would have closed out his story there. But obviously due to COVID-19, those plans were nixed. As of now... Uh, there's no heat between the two sides, but uh, a realization that he's done all he could there right now. Anybody would be would be lucky to pick up Bully Ray. I mean, I think Ring of Honor works so much for him because he can just come out and get himself over, but then put the young guys over, and he doesn't have to travel far. Ring of Honor's a lot of Northeast, a lot of Maryland, Philadelphia, uh, New York, and he lives in Connecticut, so... That's just my two cents on that, why that works so well for Bully Ray. And the NWA television champion Zicky Dice was released from the company this week. According to a report from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dice had backstage heat over not selling for people and his attitude backstage. Uh, NWA officials also told him he needed to improve his in-ring work. Uh, the reports that Billy Corgan granted his release because he only wants team players to work for him. As noted, the company is currently undergoing major changes due to Dave Lagana's departure. Veteran wrestlers are taking uh, advisory positions, uh, sorry, advisory positions, and there's more uh, collaboration between the office and wrestlers. Now, I've only seen uh, some of Zicky Dice. Uh, I know that he trained a lot with Seth Rollins, the Black of the Brave Academy, uh, but he does have a chip on his shoulder for somebody who doesn't have that many years in the business. I'll leave it at that. And for the final thing this week, it's been talked about for several weeks that Evolve, Gabe Sapolsky's company, has been having financial issues as of late, and we're looking to sell their assets to WWE. According to a report from PW Insider, WWE has officially acquired ownership of Evolve Wrestling. Uh, The WWE reportedly closed the deal to purchase Evolve after several months of negotiations. Uh, It was reported last month that Sapolsky had told the Evolve roster that there were no plans for the company to run shows going forward. According to PWI's report, the discussion started after the COVID-19 pandemic caused WrestleMania weekend to be shut down. The shutdown was said to have had a massive financial blow for the company and other independent promotions who rely on WrestleMania weekend to help them stay in business. When the pandemic forced everyone to shut down, many of these promotions suffered big losses. Evolve was forced to refund ticket sales and pay talents who were contracted with them. Uh, When they realized there was no possible way to get out of their financial hole, uh, WWN Live went uh, into discussions with WWE. 
The deal will result in WWE acquiring the promotion as well as Evolve's tape library. More content for that network. WWE will also own uh, all of Dragon Gate USA's tape library, which is very interesting because a lot of stuff from Daniel Bryan's past goes through Dragon Gate. It's possible that WWE now owns some of Full Impact Pro's content as well, but that's not been confirmed. WWE are require, uh, acquiring the new LLC that Evolve created when they signed a deal together. Uh, they are not acquiring WWN Live as a whole. Uh, Sal uh, Hamoy will now be focusing on the remaining promotions under the company umbrella, like Full Impact Pro, Shine, and ACW. With the sale, Gabe Sapolsky and Sal uh, Hamoy will be ending their professional relationship. It's said to have been an, an amicable parting. Sapolsky is sticking with Evolve and will not be involved with the WWN Live promotions. The belief is that several contracted Evolve talent will be signed to WWE and enter the NXT developmental system. While no names have been confirmed, there are said to be at least four names who are being considered. I mean, you know, that's all, you know, speculation. But I mean, I think the last biggest guy that they took from there was Austin Theory. And look, he right up to Monday Night Raw. Uh, and to wrap that out, it should be noted that there's at, at least one other party interested in buying Evolve. But Evolve's contractual agreement with WWE kind of gave them the first rights to buy the company. And that is it for this week's Quick Sip. So I'm going to take a quick sip really quick here because... We got a lot to talk about here. Uh, we're going to skip Raw, and we'll come back to that later on in this program. Sip a beer here. Mm. Hysteria Brewing, if you ever get a chance, in Maryland, Dan, the pod daddy, found it on a drive home last year, and he's been talking about us wanting to go there, so we made sure that we stopped there, and we spent several hours there last weekend, picked up uh, a lot of great beers from them. I know that on uh, Polyphony and Potables, which is dropping this week, I know that they drink some of those beers and talk about them as well. So, Wednesday night, we had the first of two nights of back-to-back weeks where the AEW and NXT are basically presenting pay-per-view quality uh, shows on live TV. Myself, uh, personally... I watched AEW and I live tweeted during the show. So I'm doing that and and took my notes here as this happened out. So we come live and Chris Jericho comes out first wearing a very Canada out suit. Uh, it had the maple leaves all over it in like a checkered pattern. And it was Canada Day. So it made sense for him to be all Canada out for that to join the announced team. Uh, up first, MJF and Wardlow versus Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. Uh, MJF uh, cuts a great promo as as usual. Uh, says that they're in a ratings war. That's the first time that's actually come out. But, you know, he he generates heat. Love uh, everything that MJF really does here. Right out of the gate, uh, Jungle Boy uh, goes out to uh, attack MJF. MJF takes a quick powder. Uh, some of the highlights from this match, Jungle Boy hits went for a reverse Rana on MJF on the, the apron. And it was a very cool spot. You never see that blocked where MJF kind of stood there and held him because he's in that reverse spot. Wardlow comes over, grabs him, and then lawn darts him into the ring post. Really cool spot here. Uh, One thing that I noted here, there were no tag ropes anywhere on any of the corners of this ring. And what drives me crazy is that I know that AEW does a lot. And I mean a lot of, of, of emphasis on trying to now have rules. Chris Jericho made a big deal. They have a rule book coming out. And literally, uh, what was it, two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, the uh, FTR had their debut. And man, JR was putting over on the, the match how they used tag ropes and all that stuff. And they had tag ropes. 
They haven't changed uh, filming. They've been in Daly's place for months now. So the tag ropes are there. Where were they during this entire card? They were not there. I'll be surprised. I'm going to definitely report back after this coming week's uh, eight-man with FTR involved in it. Uh, but we're back here. Quick tags between MJF and Wardlow, uh, keeping Jungle Boy uh, in the corner, which was great because eventually they do an awesome hot tag where he is able to basically slip past Wardlow and MJF. So it, he was able to get through everybody. The hope was gone, and he got the dive in, and MJF came in and, and cleaned house. Uh, more highlights here. Uh, front tombstone into a cutter for a two count on MJF. Uh, Wardlow hit a step up Hurricane Rana on Luchasaurus, uh, followed by Jungle Boy hitting a poison Rana on Wardlow, which Wardlow got up and no sold. <laughs> they do a spot where all four men are down. And then all four of them nip up. It was very cool. And then the big men double clothesline each other, which then piled them on top of each other. At this point, Jungle Boy hits a running Super Canadian Destroyer onto MJF, which looked awesome. MJF uh, gets the, at this point, the, the Dynamite Diamond Ring on. He goes to hit Luchasaurus, who ducks, and he almost hits Wardlow. And now they're teasing the dissension between MJF and Wardlow. He just yells at Wardlow. Can you do anything right here? At which this point, Luchasaurus kicks MJF, which naturally forces him to punch Wardlow right in the face with the dynamite diamond ring. Jungle Boy gets MJF out of the ring. A series of kicks from Luchasaurus and a crazy tornado DDT from Jungle Boy, followed by a standing mootsult from Luchasaurus, and they get the win here. Wardlow kicked out at three and a quarter, which I kind of feel took a lot of the pop off. It seemed almost flat because of how quickly Wardlow kicked out of it. Uh, but very entertaining match to open up this show. Uh, the crowd that was there, red hot for it, and, and I enjoyed it too. Um, you know, everything that MJF and Jungle Boy do is, is great, and the Luchasaurus and Wardlow stuff continues. Wardlow's going to be a big player. He just needs more time, and they're doing a good job uh, protecting him here. All right, women's title matches up next. Hikaru Shida defending against Penelope Ford. Uh, right out of the gate, just like last week in Shida's match, she comes right out with a running knee to the face of uh, Penelope Ford uh, for a two count. Now, here's a note that I put on our Twitter page because this is something that's always kind of bugged me. I've never been a fan of the cartwheel backhand spraying into an elbow corner spot on your opponent who's been in the corner for the last 30 seconds for you to you know get that there's a spot that it's been, I, it's been around for years, but it's fake and it takes forever. It's 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 a gymnastic spot is what it is. It is a glorified gymnastic spot. But the difference is, is this is a wrestling match. There's nobody sitting there waiting to give you a fucking grade. It, it looks horrible. And I'm, I'm not just saying Penelope. Dude, like China was doing that stuff 20 years ago. But everything that Penelope did in this match was just a step off. And that's just my biggest takeaway from this. Penelope went for the lethal injection, but she undercut herself. One example where she was basically, she landed back on her feet, but Sheeta was like a solid foot or two behind her. So then she kind of had to back herself up to it. Sheeta put a full Nelson on her. It it didn't look good. Sheeta missed a missile drop kick when Penelope um, did a back handspring and then hit a bad-looking cutter. So the cool spot there was Penelope backspring to got out of it, but then went for a move, once again was off. Timing wasn't there. 
Penelope rolled out of the ring and grabbed the women's title, which brings Aubrey out, which causes uh, Kip Sabian to come back out. I forgot to mention that earlier. Kip Sabian was immediately ejected from the ringside before the match even took place. So he comes out with Sheeta Singapore Kane. Sheeta naturally gets a Singapore Kane and cracks him across the head with it. And at this point, Penelope gets back in the ring and hits the lethal injection. Yes, Jay Lethal's very, very well-protected finishing move for a two-count. I'm sure Jay Lethal's not happy about that. Or I wouldn't be if I was Jay Lethal. Sheeta hits a running knee uh, to the face for the win. So we started with the running knee. We end with the running knee. And Sheeta is still your uh, AEW Women's Champion. Now, I like Sheeta. Penelope is gorgeous, athletic. But she needs to work on her footing. Obviously, there's several spots in this match where she was a step or two off uh, and, and had to walk into spots. Didn't really look good. Um, for those who are on Twitter, there is a account these days that is, uh, I believe, at That's My Mongo or What Will Mongo Do Next, something like that. And it's all happy feet moments of Steve Mongo McMichael from WCW and just where... This guy could never get the right footing for anything. Great follow, solid gifts, and they're consistently being updated. She doesn't have that problem. Her problem is, you know, here's the thing. If it was a WWE where they have a 20 by 20 ring, and no other wrestling promotion has a 20 by 20 ring except for WWE, and you were making that adjustment there, I could get you being a step off. But Penelope Ford has been wrestling in this 18 by 18 AEW ring for months and now that she gets put into this main role for her to have this happen um i'm not necessarily criticizing her but i'm saying if i was her i wouldn't be happy about my performance in this and would want to work harder to improve going forward that's all up next tnt title cody versus jake hager jake hager's out here with his wife catalina he is announced as rock hard jake hager tremendous Cody's out here in a Great American Bash-inspired American Nightmare Cody shirt from the old WCW mid-90s Great American Bash. Well, actually, it's the same Bash logo that they started using, I think, like, 88. And they used it through about 98, I think. And then they changed it in 99. But nice little nod because everybody just assumes that there's all this heat between Cody and WWE and Cody is the utmost professional about it all he says that it doesn't bother him he does say though that according to Dusty Starcade was named and created and he like dedicated that to his daughter he created the Great American Bash in 1985 and dedicated that to Cody so that's where the special meaning is to him there he went on record this week saying that you know there's no ill will get about four bourbons in him and his opinion might be different. Uh, but he's staying the utmost professional about it. Gotta give him credit about that. If they happen to put that Cody Rhodes shirt on sale, I will definitely buy that because it is just a great looking shirt. Plus, I love the nostalgia crossovers uh, in wrestling shirts. This match, fast-paced, hard-hitting. Hager bringing the power moves early and often. Hager went for the ankle lock, and it gets reversed by Cody, who put an ankle lock on himself. Hager quickly got the ropes. Uh, Arn got out of the way, uh, got in the way of Jake Hager on two different occasions. Now, the first time, he choked him out uh, along the front of the stage. Cody hits an awesome cutter off of the top rope for a two-count. He went up and just completely almost... Didn't look back. He just dove flat, and it was crisp. It was beautiful. 
These two work great together here. Jake hits the Hager bomb for a two, which, you know, they called a Vader bomb and Jericho quickly, quickly corrected them, calling it the Hager bomb. Arn distracted the ref. Uh, and now this was the second time, which gave Dustin the opportunity to come out and, and pop Hager right in the face with a right uh, crossroads reversed and Hager locks in a front chokehold uh, with Cody on top of him and Cody pinned uh, Jake Hager's shoulders to the mat for the win. They did this spot where Jake thought he won the match, but Cody's music's playing the whole time, so that kind of didn't make sense. But it was an interesting way, once again, to protect Jake Hager, who is, again, a legitimate threat to anybody in that company. When you look at it in the way that, yes, he's got a very, very uh, colorful and uh, amateur background, and he is a legit undefeated Bellator MMA fighter. That is the one thing that they need to keep strong is he is a legit fighter. So how do you bring him into the quote unquote fake world of wrestling? I know it's a very, very touchy uh, word, but how do you bring him into that world and really keep him as a viable threat? This was done perfectly. I loved the finish here and it keeps the title on uh, Cody. Santana Ortiz versus Private Party. The story that they made sure uh, to, to tell right out of the gate is that these two teams went to the same wrestling school, Santana and Ortiz being the veterans and Private Party being the young boys. Quick, quick uh, swig of beer here. There was a nasty clothesline here onto one of the Private Party members. I didn't catch which one it was. Uh, Santana and Ortiz dominated most of this match. Uh, there was a crazy twisting dive from Isaiah Cassidy over the top rope onto both Santana and Ortiz on the floor. Uh, a Liger bomb off of the top rope onto uh, Mark Quinn, followed by a cannonball in the corner. Whew. Uh, they go to use uh, the the mad ball. Matt Hardy got on the apron and took it out of their hand. Uh, Private Party hits the gin and juice for the win. This wasn't the greatest match, but it told a decent story that the two young guys were trying to overcome their older predecessors. And I like the fact that Ortiz almost broke up the pin right at the end, which is another spot there. So they hit that gin and juice, and he was just a, a smidgen off of breaking up that that pin. So it was nice. They, they can make that argument that they mm, the match could have kept going. Nice there. Up next, Taz and Brian Cage come out. They announced that they are moving the world title match with Brian Cage versus John Moxley to the following week. It was set for this coming Wednesday, July the 8th, night two of Fighter Fest. It is now going to be on July the 15th, which they are now calling Fight for the Fallen. So expect any day now for WWE to have a pay-per-view-esque show ready to go for July 15th. Uh, but happy birthday to me, and that'll be the night before my birthday, uh, July the 15th. We get a tag title match here with the tag titles on the line for the main event here. Best Friends versus Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. Best Friends were driven to the ring by Trent's mom in a minivan. I guess this would be funny if it wasn't their big payoff title match. Have their mom at ringside or something, which I wrote that note, and about five minutes in, she was Sitting in the stands anyway. Why do they need the hokey minivan drive up? <sighs> Kenny Omega, I really didn't have a lot of notes on this match. It, it was okay. Uh, you could obviously tell they were working with the remaining time on the show. Kenny made the save when they uh, 
hit the strong zero. Hangman hit the dead eye onto Trent, who kicked out a two. Uh, eventually, Hangman hits the buckshot for the three count, and the uh, titles stay on Hangman and Kenny Omega. Overall, I loved Fighter Fest night one. I thought that it was tremendous. And the biggest problem for the Great American Bash for me was as I was live tweeting, I was seeing the results. So it kind of took the element of surprise out for me going into it uh, because then I had to just watch the show to see how we got there. So for NXT's Great American Bash night one, I have more thorough notes because I wasn't live tweeting during it. So I was able to really dive in and, and get the notes for this show. So AEW had a set for their show, uh, very beach themed. So did NXT. It gives it a special feel, which I liked. Of course, a uh, big fan of the red, white, and blue ropes, which they brought back. Uh, very vintage WWF from the 80s and the 90s, as well as my, my Hasbro ring. Uh, they have a couple cars out here at ringside and a very small ramp, but it's different than what they've been doing on TV every week. So it was cool. I was a fan of it. First match on this show is for the number one contendership for the NXT women's title, Tegan Knox versus Dakota Kai versus Mia Yim versus Candice LeRae in an elimination match. All right. So that is the, uh, stipulation here. And it is also for the number one contendership. Like I stated, uh, NXT general manager William Regal has barred outside interference, which is the reason why Raquel Gonzalez was not at ringside. So some of the highlights from this match, because this match was just ridiculously full of action. Gonna take a swig of beer here. All right. So Candice LeRae hits a plancha onto the floor, taking Knox and Kai back uh, down onto the floor with her. LeRae goes uh, to the top, but Yim uh, knocks her off. Yim climbs up for a superflex with LeRae. LeRae fights her off. LeRae slides down for the powerbomb, but Yim stops it. LeRae runs back out for a German suplex for a close two count in the middle of the ring as Kai comes back in to take over. Uh, Dakota Kai scoops Candice over her shoulders, but Knox drops them both with a giant super kick. Knox runs at, Cand at uh, Dakota in the corner, but she moves and hits LeRae instead. Kai with a running boot to LeRae in the corner. Knox follows up, and here comes Yim, uh, and they double-team LeRae, slamming her uh, on Kai, and that kicked Kai out of the ring. Yim drops LeRae onto her knee and covers her for the pin, which eliminated Candice LeRae, much to my surprise. I was looking at this before, and I assumed that we would get Candice LeRae. I figured you won one heel versus babyface as your champion, Io Shirai. And I felt Candice LeRae, you'd be able to get more out of than Dakota Kai at this point. That's just me. There's more steam behind Candice and Johnny Gargano. The match continued here, and ultimately this is, like I said, where it lost me. Tegan Knox runs in and rolls Mia Yim up from behind, and she kicks out. Yim ducks and drops uh, Knox with Soul Food, Knox rolls to the floor to avoid the pin. Yim uh, just stands up, and she's acting frustrated and standing there and saying something to the referee while Knox eventually gets up, and then Dakota Kai rolls up Yim from behind to eliminate her. So as I was watching this, Yim was kind of just aimlessly standing there and waiting for the spot to happen. So we have two eliminations in, and the first one was a nice surprise, but the second one took the wind out of the sails from me as it pertained to this match. Again, already knowing the result and seeing that we eliminated Yim in the way that we did in a match that was so highly praised on social networking, I kind of, it, it, 
it lost points for me there, which isn't their fault. It's, you know, the surprise wasn't there for me, but I also thought that that elimination was kind of sloppy. Again, just my opinion. So now it's down to Dakota Kai, Tegan Knox, who go on for several minutes, hitting moves in several near falls after near fall. Uh, we see the finish when Knox goes for the shiniest wizard, but Kai blocks it and covers for a two count. Kai applies a submission that Knox escapes from. Knox goes for the top and hits the molly go round, followed uh, right up with the shiniest wizard for the win and earning the future title shot. So I think that the reoccurring theme for me was the Great American Bass Show was that I didn't watch it live, like I said, and I was exposed to several spoilers while live tweeting. Uh, but this match received such praise that I, I was just slightly disappointed in it. I think that the Mia Yim elim elimination was just not strong. And I'm really overseeing Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox, but Knox getting a title shot is something new, so I'm excited for them to build that eventual match here. Mackenzie Mitchell's in the backstage with Damian Priest. He addresses Cameron Grimes and doesn't know what kind of man he is because he slashes tires and he won't claim it, among other recent annex. Priest goes on and challenges uh, uh, Cameron Grimes to a one-on-one -on -one match, saying that the beating he will give Grimes is something that he won't forget. Up next, Timothy Thatcher versus Oni Lorkin. Lorkin and Thatcher lock up to start. Lorkin takes it to the corner and backs off as the referee counts. Uh, they lock back up and Lorkin takes uh, takes him down. They back up and Lorkin lays some chops into Thatcher. Thatcher finally takes over control with a headlock. Uh, more back and forth between these two. Eventually, Lorkin takes Thatcher down with a scissors and keeps control on the mat. Lots more back and forth between the two on the mat, and Lorkin controlled most of the uh, action, like I said, early on. Thatcher finally mounts some offense and took control. We see a belly-to-belly. -belly. Lorkin rolls out of the ring. Thatcher tries to suplex Lorkin from the apron. Lorkin resists. Thatcher keeps trying. Uh, Thatcher brings him in, but Lorkin slides out of the ring, dropping Thatcher right on his neck. Uh, with a big suplex, Lorkin comes right back with a big uppercut for a two count. Thatcher uh, hits Lorkin, and they they end up trading big strikes back and forth in the middle of the ring. Thatcher with several strikes in a row, including a big chop to the chest. Lorkin unloads and grabs Thatcher by the face. Thatcher strikes, but Lorkin strikes him right back, dropping him with a chop. Lorkin applied a single Boston uh, a single leg crab there. Uh, Thatcher reversed the crab, and Lorkin uh, uh, down into a submission. Uh, over his knee, um, more back and forth as they tangled, uh, but eventually Thatcher kept control and tightened the Fujiwara armbar and pulls back on it, and Lorkin uh, hangs on, but finally taps out. Uh, this was a hard-hitting match, uh, and it's a breath of fresh air to see the ruggedness that is Timothy Thatcher. I'm a big fan of everything this guy does, uh, so far, at least of what I've seen. Uh, this guy, everything he does looks like he's trying to win a match. He's not cooperating with someone else. He's there to beat someone up and get his hand raised. The match with Riddle and 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 this match with Oni Lurkin, uh, I'm I'm very happy so far. You get a get a clap from me, uh, but I'm looking forward to see what they do next with Timothy Thatcher. They obviously could go to another match here with Lurkin, but. I think the eventual match that's just going to be ridiculous will be carrying Cross and Timothy Thatcher when we get there down the line. Up next, two-on-one handicap match, Robert Stone and Aaliyah versus Rhea Ripley. The stipulation here is if Rhea loses, she will have to join the Robert Stone brand. Stone comes out and he's dressed like he's going to be in a boxing match. 
the big baggy shorts with the the robe and the hood over his head. Uh, Stone even puts in a mouthpiece and goggles on. Great touch before the match starts. The match starts and Rhea takes both of them down. At this point, Stone tells Aaliyah that he's gonna he's he got he's got this. He's gonna start the match. Stone talks uh, trash to Ripley and uh, right away she drops him with a huge chop. So then Stone goes and tags uh, Aaliyah in. <laughs> Aaliyah avoids a kick and hits a, a takedown. Uh, Stone holds Ripley's foot in the corner, allowing Aaliyah to hit a running boot to the face. Rhea still kicks out of two there. Stone gets Ripley in a Boston Crab while Aaliyah has Ripley in a submission uh, on the mat. Uh, Rhea gets free, but Aaliyah keeps her down in that submission. Stone and uh, Aaliyah here successfully hit a double suplex on her. Uh, they then argue over who's going to cover Rhea at this point, which is just... The classic dissension, which there's no need for dissension here, but it's just an easy uh, way for for there to be, you know, some kind of reason for the heels to lose focus. Aaliyah finally goes for the pin, but uh, Ripley kicks out of two. They go for another double suplex, but Ripley counters uh, and hits a double suplex onto both Stone and Aaliyah. Rhea hits a back body drop onto Aaliyah. Stone charges and almost runs into Aaliyah, but stops at this point. Rhea drop kicks Stone. Rhea goes on and sends Aaliyah headfirst into Stone in the corner. Eventually, uh, Ripley hits a big boot to Aaliyah. Stone tries to roll Rhea over, but he can't overpower her. Uh, Rhea hits him with a headbutt. She then stomps on Aaliyah. Uh, Ripley then applied the double prism trap submission on both of them, which really, really was cool looking. Uh, And they both tap out at the same time, so Rhea wins there. A good comedy match after the hard-hitting Thatcher match. Rhea has cooled off a lot since WrestleMania uh, when she lost to Charlotte and never getting that win back, which was kind of crucial to keeping her as like a top-of-the-line character on that brand. Um, And now with Tegan and Io having essentially a date for that title coming in the future, I don't know where that leaves Rhea at this point. Um, You want to keep her strong, but you kind of ran her through everyone on the roster. So... Uh, my point is I don't want to have her in too many more comedy matches. My suggestion is bring Shayna Baszler back. Vince doesn't want her on the main roster. Bring her back to NXT because you have a talent in Shayna Baszler. Just because she's not Vince McMahon's cup of tea, Triple H knew how to book her right for years. And I guarantee you he will continue to know how to book her right if he, she comes back to NXT. That's just my two cents there. Uh, quick swig of beer. Oh, damn, we might even, might even need a second beer for this show. Up next, Dexter Loomis, Roderick Strong in a strap match. Now, the backstory of this, of course, started at NXT TakeOver in your house. Loomis put Roddy and Bobby Fish in the trunk of a car. And since then, uh, Roddy has been just ridiculously, ridiculously afraid of not only Dexter Loomis, but trunks of cars. So they filmed several therapy sessions over the last couple of weeks so he can get over his fear of being inside of the trunks. And here we are in a strap match. See, the weird thing about this is it's a strap match. Strap matches are usually a payoff that's used for a chance for the heel to take out frustration on the baby face and eventually the baby face to get the, 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 the beating back and usually overcome in the end. This is only the second match between these two, and the first one was last week, I think, on NXT TV in a one-on-one match. 
So I'm not really sure about the placement of this match and the, or the, the stipulation here. But this is what they decided to go with. Roddy attacked Loomis before the bell rang, uh, but he seems to quickly lose the confidence that he had at the start of the match the second they strapped him to Loomis. Uh, Roddy kept trying to escape the ring, but Loomis pulled him back inside repeatedly. The two fought on the stage, up to the stage, uh, where Strong finally managed to do some damage to Loomis, who struggled to get back to his feet as Roddy pulled him back to the ring. Uh, Roddy whipped Loomis with the strap repeatedly, trying to overcome uh, his fear of Dexter Loomis. Even Bobby Fish tripped Loomis to set up a running knee strike by Strong, uh, but uh, Loomis kicked out. He ran Strong into Fish and then uh, hit a Urinagi before locking in the silence with the strap wrapped around Strong's mouth for the tap out. This was uh, an okay match. Again, like I said, not really sure about the placement and the decision for them to go with a strap match just here, especially due to the fact that, you know, like I said, the, the strap matches are usually just another way uh, to to keep somebody from running. There's always several other matches that before it leads to this, so this is kind of hokey to me. I don't I don't really get the point there. Up next uh, wasn't a match. But instead, it was the NXT Cruiserweight Champion, Santos Escobar, Raul Mendoza, and Joaquin Wilde. Uh, the group is now known as El Eo uh, El Legado de Fantasma. So uh, El Eo de Fantasma is now the leader of El Legado de Fantasma. Escobar takes the mic and talks about how the Lucha Libre culture uh, used to rule the ring. They used to be something. Heroes uh, and role models. Their historic uh, tradition turned into a sideshow as the fans settled uh, and were led to believe that Lucha Libre is just a bunch of guys in masks doing flips. He says that's wrong. He's going to rediscover the roots of Lucha in their image. In his image, they will restore the honor of Lucha and leave a legacy they can be proud of. He says they will right the wrongs of others, showing that it means to be a Lucha Libre artist. They are going to build their empire. At this point, Drake Maverick comes down, sporting a neck brace uh, from the beatdown two weeks ago. Uh, Drake takes off the brace and rushes to the ring. He fights Wild and Mendoza, but they end up finally getting the upper hand on him. At this point, uh, they hold Maverick while Santos gets in his face. Uh, and right when he goes to attack him, out comes Brizongo uh, to fight off and clear the ring of Mendoza and Wild. Clotheslining them to the floor, and Escobar slid out of the ring himself. Uh, so Drake stands with Brizongo. Fandango tastes the uh, the mic and says there will be no place to hide next Wednesday night for night two of the Great American Bash. So I'm assuming we will get all three members of El Legado de Fantasma versus Drake Maverick and uh, Fandango and uh, Tyler Breeze next week on night two of the Great American Bash. Uh, Mackenzie Mitchell is now backstage with Cameron Grimes. Remember earlier she was back with uh, Damian Priest. Here she is with Cameron Grimes for the response to the earlier challenge. Grimes says Priest must not understand it's Grime time and he's going to the top. Uh, he goes on to say that he will be the number one contender to the winner of next week's winner-take-all main event and he's going right to the moon. Grimes continues to rant and boast before walking off. Main event on this show, Io Shirai versus Sasha Banks. Now remember, this is a non-title match. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, because last week, they never you know, discussed that it was non-title. So naturally, because they didn't, they went above and beyond this week to let everybody know that this match was non-title. 
Sasha comes out NXT boss style riding in a, in a vehicle. Uh, it's a 2014 Jaguar with Bailey and Ryu, uh, her wonderful Corgi by, by her side. Uh, and EO comes out with a normal entrance. So fascinating here. So some of the highlights from this match, Shirai hits a missile dropkick early on. Sasha turns the tables when Bailey honks the horn of one of those cars. I was saying earlier in the show, is that on the set to distract Io Shirai? And it distracted her. Io hits double knees to the chest uh, as, and covers Sasha for a two count. Uh, Io hits a Frankensteiner uh, and then shoulder blocks, a flapjack and a 619. Then springboards with a missile drop kick. Sasha still kicks out here. So uh, Shirai goes for a double underhook, but it gets blocked. Uh, Banks... Uh, gets down in Shirai's face and talks trash while she's in the uh, Tree of Woe spot. Uh, Sasha charges for the Meteor, but Shirai pulls herself up and Banks collides with the turnbuckles. Uh, Shirai goes for the Moonsault, but uh, Sasha moved. Uh, Io here then runs into uh, a big boot in the corner. Banks comes off the top with the Meteor here for a two count, uh, dead in the middle of the ring. Sasha goes for a frog splash and misses. Shirai goes right into a crossface. Uh, Sasha uh, tries to get free, but uh, Io keeps her locked in. Sasha then crawls towards Bailey, and Bailey slides her, one of the women's tag titles, into the ring. The referee tries to get it out. At this point, the referee is now distracted, allowing for Bailey to help Sasha get free. Uh, from a cheap shot here, Bailey and the referee uh, are now tugging for the title belt. Uh, at this point, Sasha reaches for the belt, and wouldn't you know, out from under the ring, Asuka appears tugging on the other side of the belt and hits Sasha with the green mist right into her face, and Shirai hits the moonsault for the win. Hot finish, but for starters, let's go here. Spitting in someone's face right now in 2020 is more dangerous than ever. Not saying that the spot didn't make sense from a wrestling standpoint, but in reality, maybe not the safest spot to call here. Just my two cents. Uh, the match being non-title meant realistically anyone could have gone over here because now Sasha's lost to the NXT Women's Champion. While it wasn't a clean win per se, she still has a loss going into the Raw Women's title match against Asuka. I felt that it, they would have wanted to have made her look strong here. But that's just me. Overall, now that we've gone through both of these shows, I feel that AEW was the stronger show from action, excitement, and entertainment-wise. Um, however, however, uh, with the, the main event of Fighter Fest next week being removed, I think that they need to replace the match. I don't think you should give other matches time. I think you need to add another match. You might need to cut some other stuff for what I'm thinking, but I think from entrances to the end of the bell, Brian Cage Moxley would have gone about 14 minutes. That's just my my, my take on there. Solid closing match to your show. Um, my opinion is have Cody defend the TV the uh, the TNT title one more time. All right. They were talking all the news this week was that Brian Pillman Jr. was backstage at the Fighter Fest tapings. And Aya talked about this right afterwards and was like, man, like at this point, just if Pillman Jr. and Cody went 20 minutes, Pillman would be a made man. Since then, I've seen that AEW has actually filmed a match 
with Pillman Jr. and has announced that his quote-unquote debut will be this Tuesday on AEW Dark. Now, there's still a chance that they could still have filmed uh, a, a TNT title match with him and Cody on Tuesday night. I mean, on Tuesday night, on Thursday night. Because remember, both NXT and AEW are taped for this coming week. So these shows won't be live. Uh, NXT's finish has already been spoiled, though. I'm not going to give you that spoiler. Uh, but the spoiler's out there on the internet. Uh but it was spoiled by one of their own roster members. Fascinating. So we'll see what happens on Dynamite. I, I personally think, like I said, you throw a Cody TNT title match in that main event spot because that's always the thing. The classic, classic story of wrestling is if, if you have something advertised and you cannot give that to the fans, then you need to give them something as good or better. This, in my opinion, would be better. Just my two cents. Again, this week, I will be live tweeting night two of Fighter Fest on our Twitter page. So follow us at PowerbombsPPN. Rant along with me. Rant at me. Send your hate tweets at me because I'm looking forward to having another solid Wednesday night watching night two of both Fighter Fest and the Great American Bash. So all in all, we just, you know, we went through the Wednesday night show and... Another thing on top of that that's interesting, for the second week in a row, NXT has defeated AEW in the ratings. However, the 18 to 35, which is what they refer to as the quote-unquote key demographic that is really all that the advertisers are interested in, once again, AEW won. Now, Chris Jericho is the first person every week to defend the stance here. He tweeted... Here's a lesson about television ratings, kids. Last night at AEW Wrestling was number six in the 18 to 49 demo. To TV networks and advertisers, it's the only number that matters, and we were up 31% in that area. So once again, AEW Dynamite is the real winner in the Wednesday Night Ratings War. So if you pull that up, then here's the chart. AEW is number six in that spot. And yeah, I mean, the only thing that they beat was... The Challenge, Tucker Carlson, Hannity, uh, Rachel Maddow, and the Ingram angle. So, realistically, they beat out an MTV show, an MSNBC show, and three shows on Fox News. NXT was all the way down at 13, which isn't that far, but, you know... The things that they were beat by is AEW, a couple of Fox News shows, a couple of C- CNN shows, Property Brothers, which goddamn right Property Brothers, and a Guy Fieri show. So that shows you where uh, the WWE NXT fell into the ratings this week. So the other problem they had this week is we're very action-packed and, and full of stuff from the Wednesday night shows. Raw was very good. And so was SmackDown for that. So it's going to be hard for me to kind of really dissect and get through these things. We're going to dive into Monday Night Raw here. Raw comes live right out of the gate. We come live. The contract signing setup is in the ring. So the table's in there and all that stuff. But it's Asuka, Sasha, and Bailey brawling in the ring. Samoa Joe's in there calling for help to get them separated. Once he gets them separated, he welcomes everybody to Monday Night Raw. They get back in the ring. They start fighting again. 
uh, and then they have to get them separated once again. At this point, Dolph Ziggler's music hits, and he comes uh, out to the ring, and he brings out Drew McIntyre. He introduces Drew McIntyre. Uh, everybody was seated at the table. Ziggler, once again, takes credit for McIntyre's career successes and said that he'd break McIntyre by surviving all of his best shots and getting back up. McIntyre signs the contract to the match at Extreme Rules, the horror show, uh, and now says that, yes, him and Ziggler used to be family, and he figured out that Ziggler needs the title that he because he's never been the center of attention he's wanted. Uh, always dropping the ball when he gets close, McIntyre then allowed Ziggler to pick the match stipulation before he even gets to figure out a stipulation, which I guess they'll put out this week on, on Raw. Dolph gets cut off by Asuka, who signs the contract for her match with Sasha, Sasha at this point uh, at this point says that she's not the same woman Oscar dealt with in the past and promised to take over the whole damn company with Bailey, leading to yet another brawl. This time with the men having their own separate brawl. Drew goes for a claymore, but Dolph takes a powder and gets out of the ring. Great choice to open the show, especially right out of the gate. Open with the mid brawl. I loved it. Uh, I gave it. A lot of electricity, and we've seen a million contract signings. This one, I can say I liked. No table flips. Uh, and it was used as the catalyst to set up our main event of the show, which ends up being now Drew uh, McIntyre and Asuka versus Dolph and Sasha. Some other things that happen on this show. Big Show interrupts uh, Andrade and Angel Garza in the back. Says that he's pulling rank, and he has something that he needs to say to Randy Orton and Ric Flair right now. So he comes out to the ring. And he calls out Orton, but instead he gets uh, answered by Andrade Garza and Zelina Vega, who made their way up to the entrance ramp. Uh, Garza and Andrade questions uh, Show's status as a legend, says that he's repeatedly said he wasn't in the mood. Well, at this point, Big Show says he's repeatedly he's not in the mood. Uh, And then he eventually invites them to fight. Zelina Vega said uh, they do Orton a favor. And right as they uh, surrounded the ring was when Ric Flair's music hits. Uh, Orton said that uh, he says that Orton will deal with him soon enough before telling Andrade and Garza to have some fun Uh, before they could attempt to attack uh, the big show. The Viking Raiders music hit and they come out and now we have a match here with Andrade versus uh, Andrade and Angel Garza versus the Viking Raiders, which Andrade and Angel Garza actually win. Now, the whole thing of this match is they tease in here that there is still dissension between Andrade and and Andrew Garza, which they made seem like they had patched up all their issues, but not so much here. And in the end, Andrade ends up walking out while Angel Garza celebrates. But again, you have to beat the Viking Raiders clean, which just, it kills me. It kills me to see these guys getting beat the way they are. There was a 24-7 title match on this, but not an impromptu one. It was one that was scheduled, it was in the ring, and when these matches happen, apparently the 24-7 rule is ruled off. I learned something new today. Uh, but here in the end, uh, Truth ends up winning again for the 37th time. He is the 24-7 champion, and uh, he gets rolled up by two of the other ninjas, and then he runs off. So there's that. Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio here, they, they are still exchanging pleasantries, uh, going back and forth. This time, uh, Mysterio and Dominic are not in the building. Instead, we get 
Humberto Carrillo and Alistair Black for the 17,000th time. I am over Humberto Carrillo. Have I mentioned that before in the show? I feel like I say that every freaking week. Uh, in the end here, uh, Rollins ends up winning with a stomp. And uh, and that was that. He ends up putting a Mysterio mask on Humberto Carrillo and hits the stomp on him on the steps. And then he just took off on the ramp, uh, I guess, because he thought Aleister Black was going to get him. But Aleister doesn't come to make the save. Um, They've been doing this thing with Ruby Riot and teasing that she's been on this horrible losing streak and that Liv Morgan's now trying to find herself and that they're trying. I don't know. The, the the only the only bad match on this and it wasn't bad but it did nothing for anybody we'll put it that way was Peyton Royce and Ruby Riot Peyton Royce won here big show now ends up having a match with Angel Garza and uh, Andrade and we do the reverse angle here from earlier so now this time Angel Garza walks out on Andrade leaving him there for the big show uh, to hit the choke slam. And pin Andrade. So now we have dissension between the two guys that are the number one contenders for the tag titles. So you know what that says? They're going to win the titles at Extreme Rules in two weeks. Because that's that's logic here. Um, MVP defeated Apollo Crews in a non-title match. I'm really liking this storyline. Before the match... MVP, you know, continues to now run down Apollo Crews because he's saying that he's being disrespectful by turning down his services, and they're bringing up that MVP says that he's the greatest United States champion ever. And Bobby Lashley says that if you disrespect MVP, then you disrespect him as well. Uh, but in this match, MVP ends up uh, winning here. Afterwards, Lashley gets in the ring, starts beating down Cruz, puts the full Nelson on him, which brings out Ricochet and Cedric Alexander, who nobody's seen on TV in weeks. I was thankful for that. Not saying they're not bad. I just got really pissed off when they beat the fucking Viking Raiders. So, um, we're, we're looking here, and this now brings on Bobby Lashley versus Ricochet, which is what it should have been. Lashley wins with the full Nelson. Moving on to our main event of this show. Sasha Banks and Dolph Ziggler versus Asuka and Drew McIntyre. They tell a good story with with Ziggler and McIntyre kind of countering each other's moves, playing with the idea that they know each other uh, very well because they were partners in the past. Sasha eventually got in the ring and (laughs) she does a spot where she was yelling at at Drew. Eventually that led to Asuka in the ring to deliver a stiff-looking kick to the head of of Sasha for a two-count. After some back and forth between Asuka and Sasha, uh, uh, Sasha locked in the bank statement. Uh, Asuka then locked in the Asuka lock. Uh, Sasha reversed it and used it and rolled her up while in the Asuka lock for the pin. Asuka's shoulders were uh, down to the canvas. So great way to end the show. And the show went right off the air uh, right after it. Obviously, that happened before the match with uh, her and Io on, on Wednesday night, which we saw Sasha, not Sasha, uh, Asuka, Maybe getting her her revenge for her loss uh, on 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 Wednesday night, but we still see Sasha again on Friday night, which we will get to. Uh, we're going to talk about Impact really quick. Impact had a pretty good show, but there's two things that I really want to touch on here. 
Josh Matthews and Madison Rain start the show, and they announce that there's once again been a change to the main event match. Obviously, uh, if you weren't, if you didn't listen last week, Tessa Blanchard, who has been their champion since January and hasn't been on TV or at a taping since the beginning of March, was fired from Impact and uh, stripped of the Impact World Title. On top of that. Michael Elgin has been suspended indefinitely by the company due to the sexual allegations from the speaking out movement. So now the world title match is going to be a four way between Eddie Edwards, Ace Austin, Trey, and a mystery opponent. Uh, All things lead that it's going to be one of the people that were released from the WWE back in the springtime. My guess is it's got to be somebody that has a past with the company. We'll talk about that more next week. I have a special that I'm not a special, but a segment that I'm going to talk about next week where I'm going to bring up several of the names that were released back in the spring. And now that we are less than two weeks away from their, their date being up where they can actually sign with a new company. I want to talk about where I think some of these guys are going to land up and where they'll fit into that roster. That's going to be a little fun project that I'll work on for next week's episode here. So the only match I want to talk about here, and it ends with a great promo, which I will get to, uh, Moose and Crazy Steve for the TNA world title. Moose still walking around proclaiming himself as the TNA heavyweight champion. Uh, This match ends... Uh, and which is really what I want to talk about with these two exchanging shots in the middle of the ring. Crazy Steve rolls Moose up uh, in a schoolboy, uh, but Moose kicks out. Uh, Moose then catches uh, Steve off the top rope and throws him halfway across the ring. Moose then hits the lights out spear and gets the pin to retain his championship. Uh, after the match, Moose continues to beat on Crazy Steve after the match. Uh, Tommy Dreamer, who's one of their agents, Uh, and a head doctor, and several referees came down to break it up. At this point, Moose fights Dreamer and then leaves the ring. And this, this promo, hold on, we're going to get to it. Courtesy of Impact Wrestling, here is that promo from Tommy Dreamer because it was just, it was off the charts, in my opinion, from this last week's show. I have been in this business... For 30 years, I have faced and fought thousands of wrestlers. And I could count on one hand the amount of wrestlers that have the natural, God-given ability and talent that you have. And you used that natural, God-given ability and talent to make it all the way to the NFL. And because I know you, I know your story. You see, you didn't have dreams about playing in the NFL. You did it because your friends told you to come and play. And with that talent, you actually became an NFL player for six years. And once football says goodbye to you, you become a professional wrestler. Why? Not because you had dreams about being a professional wrestler, because you looking for another paycheck. And because of your natural God-given ability, you became one hell of a professional wrestler. 
You're one of the fastest rising stars. But maybe just like in the NFL when you didn't listen to your coaches, I don't know, like Bill Belichick, who you played for, or your famous players like Tom Brady, you didn't listen to your friends like an Eddie Edwards or a Tommy Dreamer or a D'Lo Brown or a Scott Demore or a bunch of men and women who learned this business and learned from their mistakes and didn't want to see you make them. And you're going to be a bust in professional wrestling as well because guess what, Moose? You didn't win any championship. You couldn't cut it here. So you just created a title for yourself. That's not how titles are won or lost. And if you think I'm mad about this, I've been beaten up by better. Moose, there was an idol of mine named the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and he talked about hard times. Well, maybe you haven't noticed, we're in the hardest times of the world. And the world stopped, but professional wrestling hasn't. And you've been looking at this place for a paycheck and not because of heart and passion. Give me a locker room of men and women of Impact Wrestling that work their asses off. You know what, Moose? We're afraid. We're afraid, but Impact Wrestling did everything in their power to make us feel happy, to make us feel secure when nobody knew what was going on. And you know the only person who complained? It was you, you narcissistic son of a bitch. You complained about catering, about you can't eat this crap was your exact words. Why don't you just say thank you for the free food? Or why don't you go take your ass back to a store and buy whatever food you need? Be a locker room leader, not a locker room cancer. And just like the American dream, my belly may be a little big, my hiney may be a little big, but I'm a bad, violent man. And Moose, the truth hurts. No one ever paid a ticket to see you play in the NFL. No one ever paid a ticket to see you wrestle. You are going to be a footnote in the NFL, and you're going to be a footnote in professional wrestling. You know why? Because you're a waste of talent. So that promo, like, it connects on so many levels. It's promo 101. I loved it because it was real. It showed heart and it showed the anger and, and hostility that now one man has for another man. This is the building grounds of what professional wrestling used to be. You don't get that when somebody's handed a script. Here, go read this, memorize it, come back out, in five hours, and, and perform it. It's not how it works. You let somebody go out there and speak with their heart, and that's what you get. Professional wrestling promos have become more utilized by MMA and boxers to talk people into the building than professional wrestling. Like We need to get back to being able to do this. The problem is, is the people who still can do it are the people who... who are past their time, past their prime. And Tommy Dreamer knows that too. He can get in and do all the spots still, but he's 49 years old. Has had a broken back, concussions. Uh, he's, 
he is an agent there now. When they need him to have a match, he can have a match. But it's the same thing on AEW. Taz cuts a great promo for Brian Cage. And some of you might have also forgotten how good of a promo Taz is due to the fact that as soon as Taz came to the WWE in 2000, 20 years ago, he really was put behind the announce desk and was kept there between WWE and then TNA. And, you know, he did his radio thing, but you never got to see a Taz promo. Half of what Taz was was the promo because he was pissed off. He would cut the promo, he'd beat someone's ass, he'd tap him out, and that was the aura of a Taz match in the 90s. Without people being able to cut promos on their own and be themselves and really speak from the heart, even if the quote-unquote hatred isn't real, you can find your own words to put it in there that it's believable and that you're invested in, in what they're saying about a person. That's just my two cents here. I know that we're really uh, running late on this show this week, but there's two things I want to touch base with on uh, on SmackDown here. Matt Riddle wrestled John Morrison in the opening match on this show. Uh, it was initiated by King Corbin, who interrupted an interview with Matt Bro, uh, Matt Bro, with Matt Riddle, where he said "bro" like seventy thousand times. Like I felt like they needed a bro counter on the bottom of the screen for every time he said it. Uh, But as you'd imagine, these guys worked super snug, a lot of reversals and hard striking. Uh, Riddle continued to grab and work the legs of Morrison with grapple moves. Uh, Riddle was knocked to the outside of the ring where he threw a flip-flop into the face of Corbin, who's sitting ringside announcing, which the star of this scene was Corey Graves and the reaction his face made. It's been all over the internet. Uh, He... Goes for the floating bro off the top rope, which was countered by Morrison on the top rope, who then hit a spinning slam and a series of Spanish flies for a near fall. Riddle was distracted by Miz and Corbin on the outside, but managed to score a a, a really snug roll up here for the win. AJ then uh, attacked Riddle from behind after the match before Drew Gulak made the save, which that match being outstanding and... uh, Two different thoughts here. That match was outstanding, all right? It was incredibly different from, you know, a quote-unquote main-style roster match because both of these guys are different. You know, obviously everybody, they, they've they pinned Morrison into the, the king of parkour gimmick, but the problem with WWE is they don't let you reinvent yourself. Only a few people get a chance to do that, and Morrison got the parkour gimmick you know, 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, when parkour was like a big, cool thing that was topical. And now that's still what they look at him as. Matt Riddle, obviously, former UFC fighter. You know, he, he was let go of the company because he tested positive for marijuana. Nothing nothing that he did too crazy, but he was there and then became a professional wrestler and is a very unique style to himself. So getting the fact that you get these two in here for on a mainstream TV, the first time ever match, it was well done. They gave them time on primetime television, and I'd like to see more of this. Um, I still think uh, John Morrison needs a character makeover. Him being with The Miz at this point doesn't do anything for me. I felt that right out of the gate, it was a cool little nostalgic point, but... 
it, this guy's around in that age and he's almost hitting 40. You, you got money here. Like he, he's, he's great. He's been great. And he's been a champion in every other company he's been, but the WWE has never given him that opportunity. So give him that opportunity. We're in weird times right now. We're in unprecedented times. Give John Morrison that chance. That's just my two cents. But again, like I said, AJ Styles attacks Riddle and brings Drew Gulak out, which then leads to right in to our intercontinental title match, AJ Styles versus Drew Gulak. Uh, Drew Gulak, wow. His wrestling mat game really like frustrated AJ, AJ Styles early on in this match. Uh, Gulak accidentally posts himself, uh, gave, which gave AJ the chance to uh, get him back over and hit a brain buster for a near fall. Gulak continued to uh, you know rally from attacks from Styles. Uh, eventually, Gulak ran into the corner but was caught by Styles, who hit a powerbomb and then a Styles clash, but refused to pin Gulak. And then he propped Gulak up on the rope and then hit a phenomenal forearm to retain the title. Now, I wasn't a fan of that because they've done such a big job of of building up Drew Gulak these last several months since Elimination Chamber, as a matter of fact, to be not a main eventer, but a mid-carder that you could eventually get to the upper. So he's like mid-card, but he's looking upwards towards the main level. And this was not the way that they should have done this. They should have done Styles Clash for the three count. Instead, he got hit by a Styles Clash and laid there. And then he got propped up. He was basically looked to have been jobbed out. And essentially now looking from that mid card downward. Not a fan of that. Because Drew Gulak is a, is a very unique talent. And I'm en- enjoying what they've been doing with him. A lot of the mat wrestling and stuff like that uh, that they did that was really all i wanted to talk about on this show i don't want to talk about the continuation of the the sheamus jeff hardy angle but like i said next week on this show uh we will be one week out from when everybody who was released back in the spring from the wwe will be free agents uh so i'm going to talk about where i'd like to see them land some of them have been going above and beyond teasing where they could end up so we'll talk more about that next week also don't forget don't forget that uh, Process Potables dropped a new episode this past week discussing the return of the NBA later this month in July. It's happening. Uh, and then Monday morning, they're dropping a very special podcast with our friend Dave Wes of Feeding Time TV. You do not want to miss that episode. It is going to be tremendous. Dave Wes is a character in amongst himself. He is somebody that we have known for well over 20 years, and he now has a very entertaining cooking show called Feeding Time TV, which I'm sure they will talk uh, in great detail about on that podcast. Uh, Pucks and Potables will be dropping this week with another new podcast from the network. Uh, They're going to be talking about uh, great games that you've been to, maybe heartbreaking games you've been to, or, or regrets. There's so many different scenarios, and we all had fun filming that Saturday, July the 4th in the morning. Uh, Polyphony and Potables, uh, where Dan sits down with Don and Lee Simpson to discuss music, uh, covers to be exact for this debut episode. Uh, there's so much going on on the podcast Potables Network, and we're growing. So there's something for everybody eventually 
So uh, make sure that you you know follow us all on Twitter, give us the old retweets and, and likes and subscribes uh, because we're continuing to grow. We're trying to find something for everybody. Next week, like I said, we have that list, AEW's Fighter Fest night number two, Great American Bash night number two, and so much more. Until then, stay safe and stay over. Stay over.